And in my regular Bible reading, God gave me this. See, you're reading Genesis this morning. Well, that's the second column in the Bible reading for the month of January. So as I was reading it, there was a truth that jumped out and grabbed me and shook me. And it was my wife. It was a truth. And so I'd like to preach it tonight. Look there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1. Very familiar verse. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Um, let's try that again. Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for each one that's here. Lord, again, I know that some of our families dealing with sickness help them, help them to recover quickly and be able to come back to church faithfully. Or maybe there are some that are traveling. I'm not sure about that. But I pray you'd minister to our people that could not come. Help us tonight that are here. Lord, we're just beginning a brand new year. We certainly need your direction as much this year as any other year before. And Lord, I pray that we'd start on the right foot. Help us tonight from a very common text. Sometimes when we look at something that we're very familiar with, we tend to convince ourselves, I know everything that's there. And Lord, maybe we don't know all of this. Help us tonight, direct my words. Please fill me with your spirit. May, may this help us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 3, verse 1 again. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. We're, we're familiar with Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2 uh, give us the d details of our Lord creating this world and all that's in it. That was Genesis 1. Genesis 2 uh, backs up and gives us a few more details of all that. We know that there were these two people, Adam and Eve, that were put in a perfect environment. No one had it any better than they had. They weren't looking over the fence at the Joneses and say, I wish what they ha I had what they had. These people had everything that they could possibly need. Now, when I say that, I recognize that uh, there were some things that they didn't have. They didn't have boats and planes and trains and taxis. They didn't even know of those things. And we have every reason to believe that they were content with what they have. Having said that, Genesis chapter 3 begins with a crisis. It begins with a tragedy. There was no tragedy before Genesis 3 verse 1. So look at, let's look at it again. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says, now the serpent. So what enters this very blissful, happy home is a serpent. And when that serpent uh, entered the picture... When he knocked on the door, when he came into their lives, everything changed. Everything good changed to bad. Everything that had promised to it lost its promise. We know that the serpent is speaking of more than just a snake. We know it's talk that serpent is the devil. We know that that serpent is Satan and he's Lucifer. And although Satan's not mentioned anywhere in chapter 1 or chapter 2, in chapter 3, the devil just showed up. 
And you know, not very long had the devil been there then uh, again uh, from the time the devil showed up. We're not told how much time that is. But by the end of chapter 3, Adam and Eve were plunged into sin and uh, brought God's judgment and all those that followed. And really, as I read Genesis 3 this morning, it's, it's kind of like a heads up. It's kind of a heads up on how the devil works. You say, oh, preacher, is it really that important that I know how the devil works? I think if you don't know how the devil works, you're going to get sidelined with it. You're going to get caught with it. I think that uh, if you know how the devil works, you can be wise. Uh, Paul wrote this. We won't turn to it. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul said that to the Corinthians. And he said, you're not stupid people. You're not stupid Christians. You're not ignorant of the way the devil works. So really, this is the first passage in the Bible layout. It's the first passage that gives us a heads up for how the devil works. And again, they were happy with what they had until the devil messed with that. I'm uh, going to preach on this title, When the Devil Shows Up. Uh, I've, I looked back in, back in 1992. I preached a message, and it was titled, If I Were the Devil. Now, I was afraid if I use that title now, some people say, well, that's not too far of a stretch. So we're not going to use that title. We're going to use the title tonight, When the Devil Shows Up. And so again, I, I think if you are wise to how he works, you won't be caught quite as easy. Look there in Genesis 3, verse 1. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman. Now obviously the devil is in some form like a serpent at this time. Some would suggest before Adam's fall, the devil looked like a snake with two legs. I don't know, that's all presumption. I don't know how he'd prove that. But uh, it's pretty obvious that here a serpent is speaking to a woman. And she's not, ah! She's not, there is no response like that from Eve to the serpent at all. So although these are the first words that are recorded in our Bible that the devil said to Eve, I would suggest to you that the devil had spoken to Eve before. I would suggest to you that there had been conversations between the serpent, and I say that entirely on the basis she was not shocked when the serpent spoke to her. In fact, she was so comfortable speaking to the serpent that when the serpent spoke to her in verse 1, look at what she did in verse number 2. And the woman said unto the serpent. So there is a conversation going on. Uh, Eve does not perceive the devil as an enemy. Eve does not uh, perceive the serpent as an adversary. Eve, if I could say this, Eve perceives the serpent as a friend. Question, by the end of this day, did she still think the serpent was a friend? No, not at all. Could I say to you, first of all, if you're taking notes on when the devil shows up, first of all, when the devil shows up, he'll pose as a friend. I'll give you some peas tonight. He'll 
pose as a friend. You and I will let down our guard when the devil is trying to make inroads in our life, in our home, in our marriage, in our church. We will be taken off guard because when the devil shows up, first he'll pose as a friend. I think when uh, the devil said these words in verse number one, I, I, I think that she didn't stand back and say, now, hold on a minute. She didn't perceive the devil as an enemy. Uh, he certainly wasn't wearing a red suit and a pitchfork in his hand. Uh, she perceived him as a friend. His words to her weren't angry. His uh, demeanor wasn't aggressive. His, uh, he didn't come armed and dangerous in, to the exact opposite. His words were gracious, and his demeanor was gentlemanly, and, and he made out like what he was suggesting was something that was good for her. Pastor, are you trying to put doubts in my mind about everyone that I call friends? No, I'm not trying to do that at all but everyone that you might think is a friend may not necessarily be a friend. Is that fair? Right. Uh, listen, the, the devil is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And uh, it, it says over there in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. Well, let's turn to it. Keep your hand here. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, look there in verse number 13. Uh, the devil is a master of disguise. And uh, he certainly knows what outfit to put on to trick you, to trick me. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. Paul, of course, is warning these Corinthians about some false influences in their life. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. Paul says, For such are false apostles. So everybody that's an apostle isn't a true one. Deceitful worker. So everybody that's a worker in the work of God uh, is not genuine, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing of his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their work. So I'm saying, first of all, when the devil shows up, he'll pose as a friend. Now, that should just tell you and I to be careful. They say, well, preacher, if many of my friends are indeed friends, but if some of my friends might be enemies in the clothing of a friend, how am I going to know the difference? How am I going to be able to determine who is a true friend and who's a false friend? Who's a true friend and who's an enemy in disguise? Could I suggest that you are going to know by the counsel that they gave and the counsel that they give? Listen, this so-called friend, the serpent, in Genesis chapter 3, his counsel to Eve was that she go against what God told her to do. And listen, when, when you have some friend that's giving you some counsel, and that counsel is contrary to the Word of God, they're not a friend at all. They're not trying to help you. Well, I've just known them for you. It doesn't matter how long you've known them. If they are advising you to do something that is contrary to what God has said, that's not a friend. That's the devil working through that. You say, well, that's a terrible thing. Listen, one day Jesus turned to Peter 
and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, we know that Peter wasn't Satan, but we know at that particular moment, Jesus had just said, I'm about to be arrested, tried, nailed to a cross, crucified, died. And Peter rebuked Jesus and said, that is not going to happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things which be of God, but the things that be of men. And so listen, the best of people, even the best of God's people, if they are advising and counseling you against something that God has said, that's not a friend. That's an enemy. So first thing, when the devil shows up, he'll pose as a friend. Now, if they're encouraging you to disobey God, you need to, to, to pull away from God. You need to back away from that person. But if they're encouraging you to obey God, they're encouraging you to get closer to God. Um, the Bible says this, faithful are the wounds of what? Friends, so sometimes a good friend will tell you what you don't want to hear. Sometimes, listen, it, if, if I had something here, I have something here and I'm afraid this band-aid's coming off. I'm sorry, if it comes off, there we go. But you know what, if, if I had crumbs on my face, and, and you saw it, you, you don't see it, and, and you just elbowed the person next and snickered, well, that wouldn't be too much of a friend. On the other hand, if you send a little note, say, Preacher, you got yesterday's lunch still on your face today. Well, sometimes the words of a friend, they wound you, they hurt, sometimes. The Bible says in that verse, Proverbs 27, verse 4, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes a friend will wound us to help us. Do you know, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A real friend wouldn't encourage you to abandon God. A real friend wouldn't encourage you to abandon your marriage. A real friend wouldn't encourage you to walk away from your family. A real friend wouldn't encourage you to stop reading your Bible and, and, and quit church. That's not a real friend. So if you have a friend that's saying, listen, you don't have to keep going to church. Listen, you can find someone better than that husband, that wife. You that's not a friend. That's the devil. And there's plenty of Bible examples. Uh, we know that David committed adultery with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11. From the best we know, he tried to hide it for a year. 2 Samuel 12, Nathan, his friend, went to David. And he pointed out David's sin. Now, I don't know whether you thought about that, but uh, Nathan risked a lot doing that. He risked losing David as his friend. Nathan risked his own life. He, the king had the power to take his life. I'm saying to you, you know, the first thing when the devil shows up, he'll pose as a friend. That's 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Do you know in 2 Samuel 13, David's oldest son, Amnon, Amnon has eyes for his stepsister Tamar. And he is starting to have thoughts that are impure thoughts. And he had a friend, Jonadab. And Jonadab said, boy, there's trouble all over your face. What are you thinking about? Well, no, what are you thinking about? And do you know that Amnon told Jonadab his friend, 
what he was thinking about. You know what, Jonadab, if he had been a real friend, he would have screamed at the top of his lungs, Amnon, don't be so stupid. But he didn't. And he began to hatch and put together a plan how Amnon could get Tamar. That's the devil. You got a so-called friend that's helping you create some kind of a scenario where you can disobey God. You don't have a friend there at all. That's the devil showed up. I give you a second thing. Look there in Genesis chapter 3 again. So say, preacher, how am I going to know when the devil shows up this year? I mean, pastor, I, I got a year ahead of me. I, surely there's going to be a devil, just like there was in the garden. The devil's going to want to mess me, mess me up. Well, he's going to pose as a friend. Uh, you need to listen real close, kind of advice, counsel he's given. Second thing, look there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Again, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, the very last punctuation mark of verse 1 is a what? It's a question mark. Now, at, at, at first reading, you say, Well, the devil's quoting the Bible. That's pretty good. Yeah, but he's not quoting it right. Look back there in Genesis 2. Let's see where the devil is uh, working on. Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Sentence isn't done yet. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not have eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. What punctuation mark ends verse number 17? A period. Do you know a period in that context is a command? God gave a very clear command. You don't eat of that tree. Well, back there to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Question mark. Could I say this secondly? Preacher, how am I going to know when the devil shows up? He'll mess with God's, here's a P, punctuation. He'll mess with God's punctuation. When, when God said something and ends it with a period, it's a command. Do you know what the devil was trying to do with a very clear command of God? Change it into a question. The devil wants you to question what God has clearly commanded. And aren't we living in a generation now where people and even Christian people are making a question out of everything that God gave as a command? God said, read the Word of God. Well, why do I have to read it? <laughs> How often do I have to read it? Why is it such a big deal to read it? Why is it so important? You are doing exactly what the devil did. You are making a question out of what God said was a command. You see, you see, preacher, is there that big of a difference between a period and a question mark? Absolutely. If it's a period, it's a command that needs to be obeyed. If it's a question mark, it's a discussion that needs to be debated. And she was debating with the enemy of her soul about something that God had so clearly commanded. I wonder in your mind, and we're not looking for answers, what is it that you're questioning?
that God has so clearly commanded. We'll back up and look at this world. You know, God made genders very clear. No question in the Bible. In the Bible it says God, male and female, created he them. There's no question about that. There's no question mark on that statement. That's, that uh, statement, Genesis 1.27, ended with a period. Isn't it true that this generation has now made a question mark on it? Is there really male and female? Could there somehow? No. Don't even go down that road to talk about But that's the devil. I say the second thing, the devil will mess with God's punctuation. God's made it very clear about marriage. God made it clear uh, the need to be married. God made it clear who you marry. God made it clear how long we marry. God, none of that's a shock to us because we know the periods at the end of those statements. But you know, this world has now made a question mark about that. Well, why is it so important to get married? What's wrong with just living together? What do you mean it's got to be a man and a woman? Well, come on. Uh, we read the Brother Politian's letter there from Uruguay, and he said for 200 years in Uruguay, it's been entrenched in the Uruguayan law that infidelity and unfaithfulness to a husband, and what, none of that's questioned. If you follow God, there's no question about what God's plan is. I'm saying the second thing, you'll know when the devil shows up, when he'll mess with God's punctuation. God's pretty clear about church. It's important, and the kind of church. And the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But you know, that verse ended with a period, not a question mark. Well, what kind of church? <laughs> what kind of church does, did Paul start? I'm saying to you, the second way you'll know when the devil shows up is uh, he'll mess with God's punctuation. And if your crowd, the, the, the people that you hang out with, the people I hang out with, if, if our crowd is the crowd that's questioning God, questioning genders, questioning marriage, questioning the Bible, questioning church, the devil somewhere in that crowd. I give you the third thing quickly. Look there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5. Genesis 3 and verse 5, devil speaking here, for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I think that you'd agree with me that Adam and Eve had a perfect environment. Now, I know that they didn't have some things that we think are so necessary. They didn't have automobiles, and they didn't live on 20th floor presidential suites, and they didn't have bank accounts overflowing, and they didn't have golf clubs, and they didn't have 60-inch flat-screen TVs, and... I know that some people would convince themselves I could not be happy, but they had everything that God felt they needed. So you know what the devil's plan now is to make them dissatisfied with what they have and dissatisfied because they don't also have this. And so look again at verse 5. Look at how he talks to her to create dissatisfaction in her. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Well, the insinuation is he suggesting, Eve, your eyes are closed. You're not allowed to see everything. And if you'll just follow my advice, then you'll see so much more. 
And that's still what the devil is trying to do to trip you and me up. He, he is trying to convince us we'd be so much happier if we could just see more. See more places, see more fun. That was the first thing. The second thing, keep reading there in verse 5. Then your eyes shall be open and ye shall be as gods. Well, now it's not see more, it's be more. Man, you could be a god. And Eve's wheels start turning and she says, well, every day I talk to God, but you, you mean I could be a god? The devil is trying to make her dissatisfied with what she's got. And to do that, he's saying, listen, I got a way that you could see more. I got a way that you could be more. Then look at the end of verse number five. End of verse number five, and you should be as God's knowing good and evil. So he says, you could know more. And folks, those are still the tricks that the devil used. Do you want to see more? You are just not seeing everything that there is to see in this world. Do you want to be more? Listen, you're just a little peon that puts a little part in an engine block that goes 24 hours. Don't you want to be more than that? <laughs> and then, don't you want to know more? Oh, wouldn't it be great to know everything that there is? I doubt it. The Bible says, be wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning evil. And so the third thing, you know, the devil shows up. Uh, we've already seen when the devil shows up, he'll pose as a friend. And you'll know that by the advice that he gives. Secondly, he'll mess with God's punctuation. He'll change what God said was a period, a command, to a question mark. Third thing is he'll pander to your weakness. You know, I, I got a, I'm trying to bring Eve up to 2024. She was perfectly happy being the wife of Adam. In a perfect environment, no vacuuming, no dusting, no dishes to wash, until the devil showed up. And the devil said, well, do you really want to settle with this the rest of your life? Well, What's wrong with that? Because there's so much more to see. And there are such greater heights to reach to be. And you could just know. Do you understand that he is just stirring in her heart a dissatisfaction for what she is? Now, she bit the bait. She took it. Because within just a verse... She is taking that forbidden fruit. And it all started with her being dissatisfied with what she had. Now, folks, all of us have goals. All of us have ambitions. But if God never gave you those things, could you not be happy with what you have? I'm saying to you the third thing is he'll pander your weakness. Do you know the devil's still trying to that same trick to deceive people? He's convincing people that what God's given them and where God's put them and how much God's given them is just not enough. But wait, Eve, well, hold on. You already have a perfect home. Eve, you already have perfect circumstances. Eve, you already have perfect fellowship with God. Why would you want to walk away from what you have to what he says you might be able to get? The world has a statement 
a hand, uh, sorry, a bird in the hand is worth what? Two in the bush. In other words, if you see two birds in the bush, you say, well, that's great. It would be better to have one bird in your hand unless it's pecking in your hand. It'd be better to have one bird in your hand because you've got that than to throw it away to try to get two. He's convincing, the devil is convincing Eve, what you have is nothing. Eve, what you have is everything. And again, the third thing, when the devil shows up, he'll pander to your weakness. Do you know, Paul talked about people who think more has got to make me happy. These people have convinced themselves that if I just have more, it's even spiritual. He talked about supposing gain is godliness. Yet Paul's advice is from, from such withdraw thyself. And I wonder, are you dissatisfied? Oh, preacher, I, nobody knows me. Well, that's probably a good thing. Uh, Pastor, I just, I don't have much. You have more than most of the people in this world. Those newsletters. And we, we read a newsletter not only from Uruguay, but we read a newsletter from Haiti. Folks, you and I have multiple times more than any of those people would ever think of having. But the devil will pander to your weakness. I want to see more. I want to be more. I want to know more. I give you the last thing. I'm done with this. Uh, preacher, when the devil shows up, how will you know? He'll pose as a friend. And you'll know if he's a true friend by the advice that he gives. When the devil shows up, he'll mess with God's punctuation, where God's put a period, a command. The devil wants to make a question mark. And have you questioned everything that God has said? Third thing, he'll pander to your weakness. What, it is it, what is it in your heart you're gnawing to have? Well, fourth thing. Look there in Genesis 3 and verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Do you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that what Adam and, ha Adam and Eve had before this fall was so much better than what they had after. They walked with God before. Imagine walking with God. <laughs> They talked with God. Listen, after this, they didn't walk with God. Probably a one-way conversation talking with God. Nothing was better after the devil showed up. Good times with God were just a memory. After Satan showed up, their communion with each other. Listen, it, it damaged their marriage. It damaged their marriage. I mean... He was accusing her, it's her fault. And she was accusing the serpent, it's the serpent's fault. That, that marriage was not the same. It damaged their walk with God. I say the fourth thing, when the devil shows up, he'll part you from God. You know what ought to be the desire of every heart? Lord, I want to get closer to you. Lord, I just want to know you more. God, I, I, I want to please you. God, whatever is in here that doesn't please you, Lord, help, give me the victory. When the devil shows up, he'll part you from God. Listen, 
after the devil showed up, they weren't waiting to hear God's voice in the cool of the day. They were hiding. That, that little shenanigan the devil pulled didn't get them closer to God. The devil promised much, but delivered little. And I wonder, we, we have a year ahead, and I have about a minute left. We have a year ahead. And just as much as the devil made his way into that perfect garden, and began to stir dissatisfaction in their hearts. They just weren't happy with what they had. And so they just had to find something better, be something better, know so much more. When it was all done, you know when they were driven out of that garden, that they looked at each other and said, oh, oh, if we could only back up time. But folks, you can't back up time. And they were out of that garden, never to return. And, and, and God's a forgiving God, and God's a gracious God. But I'll tell you what, there are some things that can't be undone. So where is it that, that, uh, where is it that God said something clear in the Word of God? And you're questioning it. It's not wise to question the Lord. I, I read this, I'm, I'm done. Uh, do you know that, uh, trying to find, I'm, I didn't print it. Um, I'm going to have to go by memory. There was uh, this king in the land, and this king one day saw one of his soldiers who had been such a good soldier. And out there on the field, the king said to the soldier, would you join me for dinner at the palace tomorrow? And that man felt so unworthy. Well, the next day he shows up to the palace and the king acts surprised. And the king says to him, you're here, why are you here? And he said, if I'm not mistaken, the king invited me for dinner today. And the king said, I did, but you never responded. And that man said the wisest statement, according to the king, that he'd ever said in his life, when the king gives a command, the only response is obedience. If you're trying to convince God that what he's given you is not enough, you've already set your path to heartbreak. Folks, the answer to this here is, Lord, if you said it, and there's a period at the end of that sentence, I have no right to put a question mark. I'm happy with what you've given me. May I please you in all that I do. 